Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading two passages. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll be reading through verse 35, and we'll also turn to Luke chapter 2 as well. But Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come and bow our hearts before you, that you might receive the worship that's due. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Eternal King. And Father, I pray that, Lord, as we open up your word, that you would cause our affections for Jesus Christ to increase and to grow. And as Pastor Eric, Lord, mentioned to the children, that, Lord, we would want more of Christ. And so, Father, we thank you. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. 
He is infinite and was yet an infant. He is eternal and was yet begotten. He is almighty and was yet needy. He is sovereign and was yet fragile. He is God and yet made himself a man. One of the truths of Jesus Christ that we will never fully come to understand this side of heaven is the incarnation of God's Son. Known for his poetic style, the Puritan Thomas Watson, in in, in contemplating the apparent contradiction of the God-man, he asked how it could be that he who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle. That in the creation, man was made in the image of God, but yet in the incarnation, God would be made in the image of man. That he would strip himself of his robes of heavenly glory and cover himself with the rags of humanity. Beloved, it baffles us when we give thought to the disparity that exists in the incarnation of Christ. We're perplexed at the apparent contradiction of God becoming a man, that the Son of God would come being fully God and fully man. Even the Apostle Paul himself admitted his inability to grasp, to truly grasp uh, the mystery of the incarnation. He writes in 1 Timothy 3, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, that he, God, was manifested in the flesh. And so in our understanding, we cannot fathom the perfect union of these two natures, divine and human, in the one person of Jesus Christ. But yet, when we consider what the incarnation of Jesus Christ accomplished, beloved, our wonder turns to worship. Because what is it that the incarnation of Jesus Christ accomplished? It's this. That divinity was clothed in our humanity in order to save sinners. And you see, this is what the story of Christmas is really about. It is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he would become the son of man that we might become sons and daughters of God. We will miss the whole purpose of Christmas if we fail to consider that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is a story of God's unfolding plan of redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. That God who could not die became a man so that he might subject himself to death and die a substitutionary death on behalf of sinners. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. Jesus Christ was made lower than the angels so that by the grace of God, now watch, he might taste death for everyone. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 echoes this very thing in different words. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. That's the incarnation. To redeem those who were under the law. You see, it's for the purpose of redemption. And you come to the gospel account of Matthew and at the very onset a baby is born and he is given the name Jesus and we find that this baby is given this very name for he shall save his people from their sins. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as Christians cannot lose sight of this. That the birth of Jesus is a redemptive story. Now, 
If you are not a Christian this afternoon, we are so glad you came. But you need to know that this story of a baby's birth is a story about salvation. You see, to get wrapped up in the nativity scene and to focus our attention there and only there is to miss the purpose of the story because this baby was born to save sinners. God had to come to us as a man because we, in our humanity, failed to live up to God's holy and righteous standard. Rather than worshiping God, we rejected God, we sinned against God. And God, being a just God, judges and punishes sin by means of his wrath, eternal hell. He would not be a fair God if he disregarded sin. But seeing the lost condition of human beings, in his love, he came to us, born of the Virgin Mary, as the God-man Jesus Christ, to take the punishment of sin that sinners deserved the very wrath of God, by dying on the cross. He was crucified and he was buried and three days later he rose from the grave giving proof that the payment for sin was paid for and that he himself was the very son of God. And non-Christian, this forgiveness of sins is offered to you and salvation can be had this very moment if you come repenting and turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, the Savior. The Son of God came for the purpose of redeeming sinners to come and seek and save that which was lost. And so if you are not a Christian and a a friend or a family member has brought you here this afternoon, they brought you here that you might hear the gospel. And they brought you here that you might come to Jesus Christ for salvation. And this is what Christmas is. It's the gift of a Savior in Jesus Christ that by faith you need to receive. And Christian, Christian, as we think about the birth of Jesus, we can never forget that the cradle leads us to the cross, that he came so that he might die. Philippians chapter 2 describes it like this, a familiar verse. But Jesus Christ made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is described as an act of humiliation. But this humiliation didn't begin and end at the cross, you see. Jesus' humiliation began in Bethlehem and culminated at Calvary. And beloved, this is why He came to us as he did. Now, as we turn our attention now to the account of Jesus' birth, this is what we have to keep in mind. And when we come to the account of Jesus' birth, Luke wants to first explain there in chapter 2 why it was that Mary, being from Nazareth, had this baby in Bethlehem. And so he tells us in Luke chapter 2, look with me, in verse 1, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, what seemed to be an accidental event of history is really the movement from the hand of a sovereign God. God, as we so often find in the scriptures doing, 
orchestrated the events of time to ensure that the Messiah would come from the city of Bethlehem, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy in the book of Micah. The book of Micah in chapter 5 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel. And that's what you see happening here as the decree from a foreign ruler leads to the fulfillment of a promise from God. Now, if you've been with us for the past month, you'll know that this is what we've been seeing in the book of Ezra. As the decree of Cyrus brought the people of God back to the land. And we read there in the book of Ezra that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. And the same can be said here as he stirs up the spirit of Augustus, this ruler. Now, I wonder if Mary, being a devout and pious woman, I I just wonder, and knowing that she was carrying the Son of God, I wonder if she knew that this baby would have to be born in Bethlehem. And you can just imagine young Mary possibly scratching her head, residing in Nazareth, pondering just how she would end up in Bethlehem. I live here in Nazareth, but I need to have this baby in Bethlehem. What am I going to do? But soon enough, she hears the decree, and she knows, I think she knows it's from God. And it was a decree that called for the registration of citizens for the purpose of assessing taxes. And so just like how taxes get us, it got them too. And so they had to travel there out to Bethlehem. And it was a decree given by Augustus, to which historians commonly call him the emperor of peace, describing his reign. And you just can't miss the irony that the emperor of peace, by his decree, would pave the way for the prince of peace. And so the decree went out requiring all Jews to make way to their homeland to register for taxes. Verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so being from the line of David, Joseph takes his soon-to-be wife Mary, who was very pregnant uh, by now, packs up some of their bags, and off they go to Bethlehem. And so now the stage is really set for the birth of Jesus. Now, I don't want to shatter your idea of Christmas, but Jesus wasn't born on Christmas. So you need to throw out the idea that Joseph and Mary were traveling by donkey in the winter cold, barely surviving, there's lots of snow. No, it's probably late spring. It was a very nice day. Uh, The Catholic Church decided that they wanted a religious event to compete with the winter solstice, uh, a pagan festival, and that it was on December 25th, and so they said, let's celebrate Jesus' birth on the same day. But I'll leave it to Pastor Eric to really shatter your idea of Christmas if he ever gives his Christmas special as he has with his Halloween special. And uh, he'll tell you that the Christmas tree is really a pagan thing, even though he has one in his own home. So I'll leave it up to him if he wants to do that. But let's look at verse 6. And while they were there, The time came for her to give birth. 
And so when Joseph and Mary, they arrived in Bethlehem sometime later, Luke tells us when the time came, she gave birth. Now, obviously, Luke means it to say that when Mary was having contractions and she was like, honey, go get the bags. It's time for us to go or wherever they can go, that it was time for her to give birth. But there's more than that. It's because the Bible tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent, his, God sent forth his son. And the reference there to the fullness of time is a reminder of the fact that God from the very beginning of Genesis has been ordering the events of history, not just a decree, but every movement in the universe has been working for God's unfolding plan of redemption. Now, when we come to the actual account of Jesus' birth, it ought to surprise you just how brief it really is. Luke covers 20-something chapters in his gospel. Over a thousand verses. Yet one of the most crucial events in the whole of human history is summarized in one verse. And with staggering simplicity. And this is what you'll find in the Gospel of Matthew as it simply says that Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. That's it. The Gospel of Mark, no account of Jesus' birth. John, no account of Jesus' birth. Well, why? It's because it was the purpose of the gospel writers to get to the cross. It's because these gospel accounts are not biographical sketches of Jesus, but rather it's a message of salvation. But out of all these accounts, the most descriptive of Jesus' birth comes from the gospel of Luke. And again, you'll notice it's a very brief account, a very short summary. But yet in the details of his birth, you can't help but notice such a contrast between what Mary was told in chapter 1 and the manner of his birth. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 1 and let's look again at what Mary was told. Luke chapter 1 verse Let's read from verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the, angel ris- and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You'll notice that Mary was told that she would have a son described with the loftiest titles. That he would be the Son of God, verse 35. That he would be an eternal king in verse 33. Of his throne, uh, of his reign, of his kingdom, there will be no end. He will be an eternal king. Verse 32, he will be called the son of the most high. And so imagine the possible expectations she and Joseph, Joseph 
must have had. Here they, here they are going to Bethlehem and it's time for her to give birth. And where do they go? They go into a manger. No W Hotel, no nice area, no nice Kaiser Hospital, I don't know. And they go into a manger. And when it was time to give birth, we're told in verse 7 of chapter 2 in Luke. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And as Mary was given these three lofty and majestic titles for her newborn son, notice that we're just given three simple little details as to his birth. But these are details that astound us because of the vast contrast between what she was told and in the manner in which he, he came. And, and the first is this, that Mary, being told that he would be called the Son of God, notice in verse 7, gives birth. She gives birth to her firstborn son. In other words, here we see the Son of God being born. Beloved, it's a cosmic contradiction that the Son of God would rest in the dark womb of a woman he himself had created. The Puritan, Thomas Watson, he writes again, he says that the Ancient of Days should be born, that he who rules the stars should suck the breast, that a virgin should conceive, that Christ should be made of a woman and of that a woman he himself made. That the branch should bear the vine. That the mother should be younger than the child she bear. And the child in the womb bigger than its mother. How do you make sense of this? It's such a contrast that the creator of the universe, the Lord of glory, the king of angels, became a man. Taking on our flesh. And doing so, you see, from the very fragile beginning of life. And here's the thing. It's not that he was humbled, but he humbled himself. He wasn't forced. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't pressured by the Father, but he humbled himself. He gladly came to us. We just sang it. We sang it in the hymn. Lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb. And if that doesn't stagger you, your view of God is way too small. And you need to listen to what the angel told Mary again. That he is holy. That he will be called the Son of God. That the Holy Son of God would come through the womb of a sinful woman named Mary to a sinful humanity. How could the Son of God do this? Be born of a helpless infant. It's because he loved sinners. And that he might be sympathetic to us as sinners. And he loved sinners taking upon himself our humanity at its weakest and most frail point. He came being born, you see. You see, what would have been fitting is for the clouds to break open 
and the Son of God to come with storm and clouds and trumpets of angels in all glorious power. But notice he came to us helpless. When Jen had baby Evan, and when Eric and Jen brought him home, the whole attention of everyone in the house was not on Noe, but it was towards this little baby, a little baby boy. And everyone always looking at the baby. And I felt bad, so I had to play with Noe a lot. Uh, But everyone's watching Evan sleep, uh, watching Evan open his eyes, watching him make, uh, you know, hearing him make all of his little baby sounds. And he makes a lot of those sounds when he's sleeping. But everyone just watching him. And sometimes, beloved, isn't it true that what is most vulnerable is what attracts us most? Why did the Son of God come to us as a baby? He didn't have to. He could have come in storm and clouds and power, and there will be a time when he will come just in that way, but for now, he comes to us as a baby. He comes to us because he knows the rebellion of our hearts. He knows that if he came and if he were to command us and put us in shackles and chains, we would resist with everything in us. So he comes to us, vulnerable and helpless, to draw us to himself. And he comes helpless as we are helpless. He he comes weak as we are weak. He comes fragile as we too are fragile, so that no one would ever be able to say, Jesus, you don't understand my needs. The book of Hebrews says he is our sympathetic high priest that he was made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The Son of God was born that we might know that we have a Savior who understands our weaknesses and our frailties. That's why it was necessary for us that the Son of God be given birth. Now notice secondly, that as Mary was told that Jesus would be the eternal king, this perpetual king whose throne lasts forever, he's placed in a manger. And we're told because there was no place in the inn. When I think about the kingship of God, I think about the heavenly description of what the prophet Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, some of you might know that passage where it says, holy, holy, holy. This amazing picture of these six-winged creatures surrounding the throne of God and, and finding his majesty and royalty, his kingly royalty, so overwhelming that they veil their faces and their feet as they fly in obedience to God, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And you see at, the every, at every sound that came from these creatures, the heavens, it says, it quaked. It thundered, and Isaiah describes that smoke filled the heavens. And the description of God that Isaiah provides is this. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. And he says, he was high, and he was lifted up. And he says, the train of his robe, it it filled the temple. And here's what the Gospel of John says. That Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And beloved, that's where he belongs. In untainted glory. He is King Jesus. He belongs in spheres and realms that shake at the voice of angels continually praising him. He belongs in the heavens where he is exalted in majesty and power and glory and might. But when he comes to us, the eternal king comes to us in a manger. You see the contrast? He who is high and lifted up bends himself low. There's an old hymn titled, See in yonder in a manger low. And it sings, Low within a stable lies he who built the starry skies. It's such a contrast. That through whom and for whom all things exist, the eternal king would lie in a manger. And the eternal king would lie not in a cradle, but in a feeding trough. A feeding trough to feed the animals. And you might ask, well, why is Jesus placed in a feeding trough? Because they didn't have anything else. But it was also to tell us that he was the bread of life. And that whoever comes to him shall not hunger. And whoever believes in him shall never thirst that he might give eternal life. He came in a feeding trough in our humanity because as Mary had sung, Luke chapter 1, verse 53, notice, he came to fill the spiritually hungry with good things. And you see, that's what the incarnation of Jesus Christ was for, that he would come to us in our weak and frail humanity to a humanity that was spiritually starving to feed them, to save them. Luke wants to tell us that though he was the Son of God, he was given birth. That though he was the eternal king, he was placed in a manger. And now thirdly, that though he was the Son of the Most High, he would be wrapped in swaddling cloths. Notice here that there's there's no kingly robe. There's no imperial robes here but a swaddling cloth. Uh, Deb and I have been shopping for the baby that's coming soon. And when you pick up a baby's swaddling cloth, it's so soft. And you want them to make a big one so you can sleep in it yourself. It's made from the softest cotton. And that's why when we buy sheets for our bed, it's like, Is it like 1,000 thread count? You know, we're always about the high thread count. But swaddling cloths in the ancient Near East, they were not made from the softest of cottons. But rather, they were these rough cloth bands, almost rope-like. And they would use these cloth bands to wrap the baby. But before doing so, they would tie the limbs of the newborn infants so that every limb was bound tightly and straight because they believed ignorantly that if they didn't do this, the limbs would grow deformed. So this baby was bound ignorantly and tightly in the manger by strips of cloth. And you can't help but notice the irony that just as he was bound in the beginning, he would be bound in the end. 
that is, he was bound tightly at his birth, he would be bound tightly in his death. As he was tightly bound in ignorance, he was tightly bound by the hands of ignorant and sinful men upon the cross to be crucified. And just as he was laid in a trough that was wooden, he would be placed upon something made of wood in the end. A wooden cradle to a wooden cross. And beloved, knowing this, the Son of the Most High still humbled himself that he might show us mercy. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's the purpose of the incarnation, beloved, of Jesus Christ. It's the wonder of the gospel message that he would come from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of a woman in the rags of our humanity that he might save us. And notice now as we bring this to a close, just who it is that the message of this birth comes to. It comes to shepherds, to the lowly, to the simple, to the filthy, to the dirty, to the poor. And it's very telling that he comes to sinners. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Now notice the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. These three simple, subtle details are again given to us. A baby was born. He was laid in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the wonder of the gospel is this, that you would come to us, to the filthy and to the poor, to the weak and to the frail, to the helpless. Father, we thank you that you took the form of our humanity, that you humbled yourself, an act of humility that, Lord, we will never come to fully comprehend. That, Lord, an act of humility that we would, Lord, continue to learn about and know more of even in and through eternity. 
we thank you that you came to us in love. What an act of mercy that you would come to us. And you see, we know this is why the angels here in the Gospel of Luke, we know why the angels sang praise. Because they were praising this very act of mercy. That it is not Jesus who comes to help the angels, but he comes to help the sinners, the wretched. And Father, I pray that as we consider the coming of your Son, the birth of your Son, the incarnation of Christ, Lord, that we would ultimately consider the cross. Father, I pray for any of those here not knowing you, that by your grace they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and as we sing, Father, we pray that we might accurately worship with our hearts the eternal King. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.